Our text this morning is chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, as we continue going through this first chapter of Peter, where our text says, He, that is Jesus Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have put down these words for us. And we pray, O Lord, that by your Spirit you would convict us, encourage us, and enlighten our minds. We ask all this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is a story that perhaps some of you know from church history of an old frail bishop who was traveling to his martyrdom. And he was going across the Roman Empire, and as he went and stopped, men and women and children who loved him would pull him aside and say, isn't there anything you can do? We were... We're saddened, we're horrified by what the authorities are going to do to you. Perhaps you could just couch your remarks in a certain way or ask for forgiveness and they would spare your life. And this wise old bishop said, Four score and eight years, my Lord has loved me and protected me. How can I desert him now? There's a story about the same time of a young woman, single, no children, who professed the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior and was about to be thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. And her own dear father came to her and said, Please, recant. Think of me, your father, in my old age. Would you, would you rob me of you? Just recant. And her answer was, how can I turn my back on one who has done so much for me? This is the story of many, many throughout the history of the church. And in a sense, it's in opposition toward much of modern thinking. Much of modern thinking thinks about Jesus Christ as what he can do for me in the future. And therefore, I'll serve him. And it takes very crass forms. Jesus will make me wealthy. Jesus will give me a car. Jesus will make my family larger. Jesus will do this for me. Therefore, I can serve him. But you see, the biblical way of thinking is to look back and to see what God has already done for us. And such gratitude wells up in our hearts that we cannot help but desire to serve him and to make him our true Lord and Master. And that's what Peter is getting at here this morning. Remember, he's speaking to the church, speaking to people who are in the midst of difficulties. And if you'll recall, the last few weeks, he has been directing the people of God to a holiness of life based upon what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them. And now he takes it a step further. He goes even beyond their experience of salvation. He even actually goes past the what would be for them a more recent historical event 
of the crucifixion. He goes back before the beginning of time, before the foundations of the world, and he says, before even then, you were on the Lord Jesus' mind. Even then, the Lord God was doing things for you, working your salvation. And so from that, a gratitude, a love will well up in us and push us on to obedience and into telling the old, old story of the gospel. So this morning then, I'd like us to follow Peter's train of thought as he takes us from time past into right now, today, and our actions that are affected. The first thing that we will see is that God has an eternal purpose God's eternal purpose as found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see that God takes that eternal purpose and he acts it out in history. We'll see God's historic purpose. That he takes an event from eternity and he makes it historical, real, in time and space. And we will see that the the reason for this, the culmination for this, is a pastoral purpose. You see, the Lord God himself is the great pastor, leading a people, comforting a people, exhorting a people. And so we will see movement from his eternal purpose to his historic purpose to his pastoral purpose. Let us then look first and see the eternal purpose of God as found in the beginning of verse 20. Peter begins, he says, He, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. The Greek word order is actually a little interesting. The last word, the very last word of verse 19 is Christ. So there is to be no mistaking that the he here is Jesus Christ. He is the one who was foreknown. You may recall from some weeks back that this word foreknown means more than looking into the future. It's more than being just a very good psychic. It actually has the connotation of being foreordained, foreplanned, decreed. You see, you recall when we looked at that at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, that according to the foreknowledge of God, according to the decree and plan of God, We are elect. Well, that is also true of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is a part of God's eternal purpose. That's important to think about. Well, you say, well, of course he is. Jesus is eternal. He's the second person in the Godhead. Yes. But you see, here we're speaking of Jesus Christ as the mediator of his people, as the redeemer. Verse 19. He's the one who redeemed his people. You see, the redemption of God's people was planned in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. It was a part of the will and plan of God. It was a part of the eternal plan of God that the Lord Jesus Christ would come as an infant, a defenseless small child, and dwell among his people and be mocked and reviled and die a horrible death all for the love of the people of God. This is the purpose of God in eternity. It also means that the eternal life that comes to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ was planned from eternity. It's not plan B. It's not an afterthought. It's not some special benefit that comes to a select few 
who act in a certain fashion. No, before Adam was even created, God was planning eternal life for you, for me, Christian. He was preparing those mansions in his house, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it shouldn't surprise us that the outgrowth of this foreordination, this foreknowledge, is a relationship among the persons of the Godhead. Theologians speak of it as the covenant of redemption. In simple terms, it means that in time past, before time began, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit covenanted together in perfect harmony, in perfect love, and in perfect relationship to save a people. And God the Father said, I will send my Son. And Jesus said, I will do the work. And the Holy Spirit joyfully said, I will apply it to their hearts. And we will have a people. In time past, this was purposed. And this happened before the foundations of the world. It's the way that the scripture can describe for us the undescribable. Something that happens before there were minutes and seconds. Before there was earth. Before there was the universe. Before God spoke. And it became. You see, back before the foundations of the world, the kingdom of God was laid. Our Lord tells us in Matthew 25. An inheritance that we have has been prepared for us. Because, as John writes in his 17th chapter, before the foundations of the world, Jesus was loved by the Father. And Paul reminds us in Ephesians 1 that we were in the Lord Jesus Christ, chosen in Him before the foundations of the world, so we can say that we were loved in Jesus before time began. What a comfort that should be to us. Have you ever felt distressed because you haven't been very prayerful this week? Or you snapped at people? Or you're doubting things in the Bible? And you wonder whether God loves you less because of things that you're doing? Well, Peter has a word of comfort here for you. Before the world began, before you did any of these things, before you thought about doing any of these things, you were loved in Jesus. How can anything you do shake that? That kind of love. Love before time. This eternal purpose was a purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem His people. He was foreordained by the Father, foreordained before the foundation of the world, and He was foreordained to redemption for a specific purpose. You see, it's not just that the Lord decided that Jesus would come, but he would come for a purpose. You know, it's, it's very interesting that this comes up in our society very heavily once a year. It comes around the 12th month of the year, near the end of that month. Everybody starts to think about, in some vague and general way, that Jesus came to earth. And they're not really sure what to make of him or, or why he came. It's just this sort of general feeling that we're supposed to have some kind of general be kind to other people week. But you see, that's not what the Lord was foreordained for. Jesus was foreordained not just to come and live, but for a purpose. It was planned before time began that he would die on the cross, that he would live a perfect life, that he would redeem a people. There's a very real sense in which you cannot ever separate Christmas from Easter. 
You can't. You see, he was foreordained for a purpose. There's an application of that purpose today. If you are not in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not know Him by faith, if you do not know the sweetness of fellowship with Jesus, you need to know that the Lord God is calling you now. It's not an accident that you're here hearing His Word. It's not an accident that you are somehow perhaps twinging or thinking or being affected by His Word. You see, before the foundations of the world, before any place in Katy was laid, even before Katy was all of the rice fields that it was, that long ago, God was calling a people to Himself and purposed to save them in Jesus Christ. How can you resist that kind of call? A call that comes from before time. But you see, the goodness of the Lord is found not just in telling us about His eternal purpose. We all have purposes, don't we? I purpose to do things, and oftentimes I'm reminded at the end of the day of something that I had purposed to do. Someone, usually it's my wife, sometimes it's my children, will come up to me and say, Dad, weren't you going to mow the lawn, stack those books, pick up something at the store? And my response is, oh, Yes, I was, but I forgot. Well, I guess it'll go undone. How unlike God. You see, God plans and determines to send the Lord Jesus Christ, and He does not fail in enacting it. He doesn't forget, He doesn't grow weary. He sends the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here that not only was Jesus foreordained, but he was made manifest in these last times for you. He was revealed to us. How was Jesus revealed to us? Well, the first way and the most obvious way in which we could say how Jesus was revealed is in the Incarnation. And when I think of in the Incarnation, I can't help but think of that great passage in Galatians chapter 4 when it says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made under the law, born of the woman. When everything was perfect and right, God acted out His plan. He didn't slow. He didn't speed up. At the very perfect time, He sent forth His Son. And we can know something about God from this, that God does not stumble around. He's purposeful in what he does, and he enacts it. And this historic purpose needs to be seen in light of the eternal purpose. The incarnation should not be primarily about a baby. The incarnation is primarily about a king. The Lord Jesus Christ was sent as a king, a king to be obeyed, a king to rule, a king to defeat our enemies. He's also shown, he's made manifest in his resurrection and his ascension, not just in coming to earth, but in his coming back from the dead. We see that in verse 21, that God raised him from the dead and gave him glory, speaking of the resurrection and ascension. The resurrection... One of the primary purposes of the resurrection, Paul says in Romans 1, is to show the power of God. 
that Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God with power, Paul says. Because death could not hold him. The ascension shows us that Jesus is who he is. It reminds us that he is the king who is coming again. You might think about it this way. Some of you, I'm guessing, have attended at one point or another in your life a graduation ceremony. You know what that looks like, right? People sitting in seats, caps and gowns, hats don't stand right, the funny points, right? Everybody's trying to walk perfectly and they don't want that. It's a solemn occasion, right? Now, if someone gets sick and they don't attend the graduation ceremony, do they have to go back to college for four years or high school? No. The graduation ceremony is there to manifest for everyone the status of the one who has graduated, right? You've actually already graduated. Your diploma's already written. Your credits are already done. But that graduation ceremony is a visible reminder of the status you have. It's very, very similar with the ascension of our Lord. He already was king. All authority was already put under his feet, simply waiting the manifestation in his second coming. And his ascension says to the world, and specifically to God's people, don't worry. I'm in control. I reign. And that is a source of great comfort to the people of God. That Jesus is powerful. He has been revealed to be the Son of God, God himself. Well, we see Jesus in the incarnation. We see him in the resurrection and the ascension. A third way in which he is revealed is in the gospel itself. You see, as Jesus is proclaimed, Jesus is revealed to a world. There's a reason why we are called, as the people of God, Christians. You remember that passage in Acts where it says, and there they were first called Christians. There's a reason for that. Christian means little Christ. We are images. We are the moon to his sun. We reflect his light. And so as we go out and spread the gospel, we reveal Jesus to others. But more than that, Jesus Christ is revealed in our actions as the people of God. It's one of the reasons Peter calls his flock and you and me to holiness. For others see Jesus in us and in our actions. Have you ever heard the old saying that you are the only Bible some will read? Others who have no thought of picking up the scriptures, who have no conviction, may be moved to hear the word of God preached and written by your actions. That's how Jesus is revealed to a watching world. When is he revealed? We've seen how he's revealed. When is he revealed? This is important. Peter says, in the last times. Now, oftentimes this is used for speculation. Well, the last times must mean that the earth is about to uh, go through the second coming in Armageddon. Well, maybe what? Last times next year or next week. Well, I give... I give it a month and a half. No. The last times is a specific reference to the end of all time. We might think of it this way. All of time 
from the day that Adam was formed until the day that Jesus comes again is divided up into two epochs. We know how long the first one was from Adam to Jesus. We don't know how long that second one is. That second one is the last times. You see, God is culminating his purpose. And what an encouragement that would be to this people of God. And it should be to you as you struggle. You are living right now in the best possible time that there has ever been to live. You're living in the age of the revelation of Jesus Christ. To live now is better than to live at court with King David. To live now is better than to walk up Mount Moriah with Abraham. To live now is better than to see the Shekinah glory with Moses on Mount Sinai. You see, now is the culmination of redemptive history as Jesus gathers together his people and builds his kingdom. That should be a great encouragement to you. It should be a great encouragement for us to go out into the community and to tell others there is no better time ever in the history of the world to serve God than now. Because God has shown us his love. He's shown us his son. He's revealed him to us in this last time. This is when Jesus was revealed. We've seen how he was revealed, when he was revealed. But the third question that we must answer for ourselves is why was he revealed? If Jesus is foreknown and foreordained, why did God choose to reveal him in the incarnation in these last times? Well, the answer is simple. Peter tells you. He was revealed for you. That's why. Not for God, because God foreknew him. He was revealed for you. The incarnation is for you. The resurrection is for you. The ascension is for you. Such an unbelievable action taken by God was done for his people, for you. That's how much the Lord God loves you. That he enacted the greatest miracles in the history of mankind for you. This is an important thing to think about as we go through our life. Because we experience this in, in families, don't we? As we grow up and we look back and we find out why our father worked a certain job. Or why our mother stayed up late doing certain things. Or why our parents suggested to us that we ought to do this rather than that. Or why they prepared so that when we, we all of a sudden decided to go to college, there were funds there. Where did those funds come from? Right? When we see the preparation and the love over a long period of time that has been prepared for us by our parents, that's when we are most moved, isn't it? It's, there's something more moving about that than even a spontaneous act by our parents. When we see that, you know, before we were even born, mom and dad 
we're preparing for our wedding. College. House. Life. That's what we have here. God has been preparing a kingdom, eternal life, and eternal fellowship with himself for us before time began. This is why Jesus was revealed. So that we might know and love God. Do you see Peter saying that? Through Him, through Jesus, we are believers in God. You see, it's through knowing Jesus and what He has done and what He was prepared for that we believe and have faith and trust, one might even say, God. This is the reason why God enacted the manifestation of Jesus Christ in history. Well, God prepares... A purpose for us, an eternal purpose for knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reveals Jesus to us in history, in real action, in real time. But he does this for a specific purpose, for a pastoral purpose, we we might say. Look at the end here of verse 21. After Peter is described... Who Jesus is, foreknown before the foundation of the world. He's been revealed, and it's through him that we have been made believers. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and the so that. Quick aside, one of the things they tell you in preaching school is you've got to be able to answer the question, so, so what? You could talk and talk and talk, but people want to know, so what? Why? That's biblical, because the so what here. God is saying is the reason for this is so that your faith and hope are in God. That's why Jesus Christ was eternally prepared. That's why he was historically revealed. So that our faith and hope would be in God. Let's look first at our faith. What does that mean? Peter says, through him, through Jesus, we are believers in God. And then he says, our faith and hope are in God because of Jesus Christ. There's a very practical application of that. Do you know God? Do you delight in his word? Do you know Jesus? Do you desire to be with the people of God? Peter says, that doesn't come from you. That comes from Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has done that you believe in God. Without Jesus, you would not believe in God. You see, it's not that we, we struggle and we try and find God, and then once we've found Him and we know what we have to do, then Jesus pays this ugly sin debt we have, and then we go along merrily. No. It's more like we're in the dark with the lights off, with no desire to get up, And no desire to turn the lights on. As a matter of fact, we're lying on the bed dead. And Jesus comes and breathes life into us. And turns on the light of our mind. And lights the fire of the fireplace in our heart. And points us to God. And tells us who God is. And gives us the faith to trust and believe in God. This is the reason Jesus came. That we might have fellowship With the Father. For without Jesus, 
There can be no fellowship. We talk about, and we are right in saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But it's not just that Jesus is the right road amongst many roads. That's true as far as it goes. But the very fact is, we wouldn't go down any of these roads, but that Jesus took us. You see? He is the one that gives us faith. We have trust and faith in God because of what Jesus has done. And this shouldn't surprise us, because the only way that we can see God is through Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, Paul says in Colossians 1. The author of Hebrews makes it more explicit. He says he is the express image. Do you remember that story? Philip pleading with Jesus saying, Lord, just just show us the Father. And do you remember Jesus' patient answer? Philip, have I been with you so long that you don't know that you've seen the Father in me? You see, Jesus is the one that shows us God. Because we are a people who stumble around and God doesn't want us left with abstract concepts. It's one of the reasons he's given us his table, the Lord's Supper, as a visible representation of the gospel. It's one of the reasons he gives us baptism, as a visible representation of regeneration and sanctification. It's like this. You know what it's like with being visual. We have meetings with our architectural subcommittee. And we talk about this building should go, or this room should go here, that room should go here. What about if we did this? What about if we did that? And after about five minutes of stumbling around, this is usually what happens. Usually what happens is Steve Campbell stands up and he sets up an easel and he puts a whiteboard up and he starts drawing. And then we say, yeah. No, wait, make this a little smaller. No, make this a little bigger. And everybody is on the same page. We know what's going on. Because it's a visual representation to us. Think of Jesus in that way. How do you know God is good? Read this book and see what Jesus does. How do you know God is kind and loving? Read this book and see what Jesus does. How do you know that God is just? Read this book and see what Jesus does. How do you know that Jesus will not brook hypocrisy and pretending? Read this book and see what Jesus does. You see, we all know what God is like if we know Jesus. God has revealed himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just for our faith. It's also, Peter says, for our hope. It comes at those times when we don't think we measure up. We don't think we have enough faith. We don't think that we can handle it. There's too much pressure. We can't live the Christian life the way we're supposed to. We're perpetually behind. You know what it's like. It's about mid-March in that read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year plan. Right? Where you look back and you say, okay... We've talked about this before. If I could just read 32 chapters of Jeremiah tonight, I'll get back on track. But you see, at times like that, it's not just that. It may be, my kids are teenagers. I've lost 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 
How do I get that back? My marriage has gotten to a point over 15 years. How do I get that back? And you see, oftentimes our reaction in our flesh is to throw up our hands and say, forget it, can't be done. Guess we got to be miserable forever. But you see, Peter says, you have hope because of the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. And again, this shouldn't surprise us. If I were to ask you, Christian, how do you know that you will rise again from the dead? Your answer should be, because my Lord Jesus Christ rose. And as he rises, so will I. It gives you hope in the midst of the most hopeless thing to the world, death. The Christian has hope because of what Jesus has done. No matter what you think you cannot obtain or how you cannot make your life right, you can have hope in Jesus. If your marriage is a mess, if your children are in trouble, if you can't find someone to marry, if you're waiting on children, God has prepared for you a people. God has prepared for you a kingdom. You have hope no matter what happens here on this earth. You will be blessed. You will be happy. There will be no tears. Focusing upon the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's going to come a point where your great hope will be that you won't be like you anymore. You'll be like Jesus. I'll have a better temperament. I'll take better care of people. I'll take better care of myself. I'll be more diligent. I'll be more obedient. I'll be more praising. Because I'll be more like Jesus. What a blessed hope that is to us. You see, that's why David can say in Psalm 42, Why so downcast, O my soul? You see, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we are compelled to simply prattle along with little orphan Annie. The sun will come up tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. You ever sung that? You ever sung that and it poured the next day? I lived in Chicago for two years, and the entire month of October was overcast. It was a record, something like 35 days. Your life can feel like that, can't it, at times? It's overcast. But you see... We don't have to wait for the sun to come up tomorrow because we have Jesus today. He is our hope. He is our life. And then finally, by just way of a few applications, the pastoral purpose of God, it's in the context here that one of the reasons why Jesus was revealed was for our holiness. Remember our context from verse 13 on. This is so that we prepare our minds, so that we're prepared for action, so that we are holy as God is holy, so that we know that we have been ransomed and we act accordingly. You see, a true understanding of grace brings about holiness. Because holiness involves trusting and hoping in God's goodness. Huh? Holiness involves trusting? I thought holiness involved what I did. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been tempted when you're in a sticky situation to lie to get yourself out? I know I have. If you don't lie, 
You're trusting in the Lord to deliver you from that situation. Do you see that? If you obey God, you're trusting in Him to bring about your goodness and safety. Not trusting in your own devices. Israel didn't learn this lesson. They trusted in horses and chariots instead of the Lord God. Jeremiah pleaded with them, trust God, not Egypt. God calls you to this today. You must trust Him for your marriage. You must not manipulate your spouse. You may think it will make your marriage better. You may think it will bring peace in the home, but it will not. You must not pretend to your parents and lie to them. Tell them what you think they want to hear. That's not the way of God. You follow the word of God. This is what God has done for us. Do you see the wisdom and power of God that not only does he send his son, and not only does he send his son for our faith, our hope, and our holiness, but he tells us of his eternal purpose in this. That we know that we are not an afterthought. That we know we are not a plan B. That God loves us genuinely. Not even because of who we are. But because of his own purpose in his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given to us your son. And we ask, O Lord, that you would meet with us. And bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.